Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to Bring Home Sandrine, a podcast covering the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan in 2012. This is episode 8, The How and the Why. My name is Graham Crowley. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been created for a mature audience. There is discussion about suicide and death and listener discretion is advised. The thoughts and opinions in this podcast are mine. Firstly, some feedback. Thank you for the continued and many responses, literally hundreds, in relation to the letters written under the name Rosette Bunton. Perhaps a comment that resonated with me the most was from Sam. Hi Graham, I've been listening with interest to the Bringing Home Sandrine podcast you're presenting and you're doing a fantastic job with it. Thanks Sam. Just in relation to the word Rosette, As a guitar player, I know of a rosette as being the decorative circle which surrounds the sound hole on an acoustic guitar. Most guitar players, especially those who play acoustic, would have that association with the word. This would have significance if anyone involved in the case has a history with guitars. Wishing you and the family success in the quest for answers regards Sam. Why does that comment resonate with me? Because this whole story centres around musicians and drumming camps. In previous episodes, we heard the when and the where regarding Sandrine's disappearance, relating to Friday afternoon, the 13th of July, 2012. We need to understand the how and the why of Sandrine arriving at the when and the where. This may be upsetting for some family members and friends, but unfortunately it is necessary. We need to know what was going on in her life prior to the when and the where occurring. What do we know so far? Sandrine either left 123 Tomlinson Road on Friday the 13th of July, or she didn't. There is no direct evidence of either to this time, to my mind. John, the owner of 123, has been ruled out as a suspect in her disappearance by the police. No human remains have ever been found in or around number 123, discounting the clothing found in 2015, of course. The properties were searched, but some believe not well. So I believe that question remains unanswered or unresolved. If we accept Sandrine did leave the property, she either left with someone she didn't know or someone she did know. Can we rule out she was randomly abducted? I believe we can. That means she left that address with someone she knew, willingly or unwillingly. To arrive at that, we need to know the how and the why. 
What are the clues so far? She was telling people she was afraid for her life. She had sent the wrong email to the wrong people, she said. That does seem melodramatic. Attention-seeking, perhaps. Even paranoid. The actions of a person with a disturbed mind. Except she then disappeared. Maybe not so paranoid, not so disturbed. I will be curious to know if the Queensland Police ever resolved the issue of the fears that Sandrine was facing. Or was she just simply paranoid? Did she send an email to the wrong person? Was she in fear of her life? And if so, why? Or was she just mentally ill? I look forward to reading the police report. I believe it comes down to this. Who knew Sandrine was at 123 Tomlinson Road that day, apart from John that is, or was going to be at that address that day? These comments come from Peter, a friend of Sandrine's, who has been searching for her for 10 years. Brad introduced Sandrine Jordan and myself in 2011 while attending a drumming camp held quarterly at Charlie Morland Overflow Camping Grounds in Kenilworth, Queensland. Sandrine and I became friends, and I found her to be a friendly, kind, generous and thoughtful woman who loved her children deeply. In 2011, Sandrine visited my home in Mapleton on two occasions, and Sandrine would phone me regularly for long periods of time. Soon after Sandrine and I met, Sandrine began a relationship with Ian. I recall that Sandrine informed me that Brad introduced Sandrine to Ian after her car had broken down on a beach. Sandrine and her new partner Ian came to a party at my house in Mapleton in May 2011 with other attendees. Brad also attended my party with his partner at the time, Justine. Brad and Ian were friendly at my home in May 2011, conversing and playing music together. In December 2011, I recall that Sandrine told me that her relationship with Ian was breaking down and that she had made contact with other women who were also in relationships with Ian whilst he was living with Sandrine. Sandrine was heartbroken by this information. On the 19th of December 2011, Brad and I met at Archer Campground near Woodford, spending the night together in his van. I witnessed Brad lie to the rangers, who had asked him if he spent the night at the campground. He told them that he hadn't spent the night at the campground. When the rangers pointed out to him that the other campers had already informed them that he had, in fact, spent the night at the Archer campground, Brad changed his story. I witnessed Brad enraged after the rangers left, holding his hands in tight fists and shaking them in anger, whilst making what I could best describe as growling sounds. I was shocked and disturbed by his aggressive outburst. On December the 22nd, 2011, Brad came to my home in Mapleton. Brad offered me a drug. I did not accept his offer. I asked Brad what kind of drug it was. His response was, the kind truckies take. The drug was on a piece of paper that he handed to me whilst we were in the bathroom. The drug appeared to be white and powdery. The night of the 22nd of December 2011 was the last intimate contact I had with Brad. I recall that Brad showed me his replica pistol in January of 2012. Brad told me that his uncle, who lived in Kyogle, had a shed full of weapons, 
and that his uncle had offered him a real firearm, but that he chose the replica pistol. Sandrine visited my home with Ian on Sunday afternoon of the 10th of June 2012, explaining that they had attended the winter drumming camp and were on their way home. I recall being surprised to see them together again, considering that Sandrine had told me that Ian had been unfaithful in December 2011. Sandrine and Ian stayed at my home for a short period of time, approximately half an hour before leaving. In episode one, you heard from Taz, an investigator who has been searching for Sandrine for over eight years. I asked Taz for information regarding Sandrine's timeline before the where and the when. Friday, 29th of June 2012. Sandrine had had an argument with her partner Ian at Morton Island. She ran off, apparently scared. An older couple paid for her ferry ticket so she could return to the mainland. She then drove her car to Ian's and collected her belongings. That was just two weeks before Sandrine's disappearance. Her ex-partner Ian obviously didn't want to be in any part of this story. This is what he told A Current Affair in 2016. Thanks to Channel 9 for this audio. Yeah, you've no idea what happened to Sandrine? No, mate. I'm really sorry. Obviously, uh, she was living with you for a few months before she disappeared. Uh, uh, she was living with me, yes, but then we hadn't had any contact for a number of months after that. After she left, you know. Taz continues with her timeline for Sandrine before the where and the when. Saturday, the 30th of June, 2012. Helly received a phone call from a man that she didn't know asking for assistance with Sandrine. Helly went to Sandrine, then took her to the hospital. After her assessment, they let Sandrine go. It is believed that Sandrine went straight to Varney's. Sunday, the 1st of July, 2012. Sandrine was at Varney's with Varney's then-boyfriend. Monday, 2nd of July, 2012. Sandrine received a follow-up phone call from a mental health worker. Sandrine refused to let them know where she was located. Sandrine was also seen by someone she knew while in a Centrelink office. This lady spoke briefly to Sandrine. Tuesday, the 3rd of July, 2012. Sandrine and Varney made a trip to the Sunshine Coast to visit Varney's children. Varney's ex-partner, Scott, described Sandrine as polite and appeared responsible. On their return, they went to 123 Tomlinson Road and spoke briefly with John. From there, they did a quick trip to Ian's place to drop off some plants. A decision was taken to return to Noosa, and on their return trip, they both believed somebody was following them on the highway, so they took a turn off ending up at the Caltech service station on David Lowway at Blyblyt. Sandrine put fuel in her four-wheel drive at 6.30pm. However, when they went to leave, the car wouldn't start. They pushed the car into a vacant car park in the adjoining caravan park, and Sandrine pays for a cabin for them to stay the night. It is unclear, although it had once been suggested by Varney, 
that her boyfriend Peter was with them. Varney states shortly after Sandrine left, she walked across the road to the IGA where she noticed a car revving and started running and the car chased and hit her. She said she was knocked unconscious and woke up to an ambulance there. She was taken to the Nambour Hospital where she stayed for either two or three days. You may remember Varney from the coroner's report at point 31 where the coroner reported... Police established she stayed with a friend called Varney, who was said to be alcoholic and too unwell to provide a statement. Peter continues with her notes on Sandrine's timeline. I recall that Sandrine contacted me on the morning of the 4th of July 2012, asking if I could collect her from the Bly Bly service station because her car had broken down. She also asked if she could stay with me for a while because she had nowhere else to go and was afraid for her life. I told Sandrine that she could stay with me for as long as she needed to. When I arrived to collect Sandrine from Bly Bly Service Station, which was at the time also attached to a caravan park, Sandrine introduced me to a woman called Varney, whom Sandrine had been travelling with. Varney came out of a small cabin in the caravan park. Varney was crying when I met her. Sandrine hugged Varney and said goodbye to her. Sandrine and I went to Sandrine's car to collect some of her belongings, which had become wet under the tonneau cover of her Hilux. I recall that Sandrine informed me that she had spoken to the man in the service station and he had agreed to allow Sandrine to keep her Hilux at the service station until she was able to afford to tow it. Sandrine informed me while we were both still at the service station that her car had been sabotaged. Sandrine also told me that it was not the first time her car had been sabotaged. I personally viewed the damage to Sandrine's car. Having some mechanical knowledge myself, and due to the unusual nature of the damage under the bonnet, I agreed that Sandrine's car could have been sabotaged, as the alternator bolt on Sandrine's Hilux had been broken, causing the radiator fan to force its way into the fins of the radiator damaging it beyond repair. Sandrine informed me she believed Ian had been tampering with her car. Sandrine began to gather some of her belongings from her car. Sandrine's demeanour changed when she realised her laptop was not in her Hilux, where she had placed it, and she began to panic and pace around the car. Sandrine and I left the Bly Bly service station together in my car on the morning of the 4th of July 2012, and we travelled to my home in Mapleton. On the drive to Mapleton, Sandrine made serious accusations to me in detail about Ian. The accusations disturbed me. I recall believing that Sandrine was telling the truth. Sandrine told me that she was scared because Ian and the men he worked with were after her. She also told me that one of those men was a police officer. Sandrine expressed to me that her life was in danger and that she was being followed by these men. Sandrine also expressed her belief that she was being tracked by electronic devices such as her phone. Soon after Sandrine and I arrived at my house in Mapleton, Sandrine apologised for bringing, quote, all this trouble, unquote, into my life. On the evening of the 4th of July 2012, I recall that Sandrine told me that she needed somewhere to stay for three months 
to provide proof of a permanent address to the family court so that she could have custody of her children full-time again. I told Sandrine that I had a clean and tidy spare room for her to stay in at my house and that she was welcome to stay for three months to prove that she had a permanent address. The first night that Sandrine stayed with me, she was very nervous and agitated. On approximately the second day of Sandrine's visit, to my best recollection, Sandrine told me while she was at my home in Mapleton that she received news that Varney, the woman who she had hugged goodbye at the Bly Bly service station, had been hit by a car. Sandrine asked if she could borrow my car so that she could visit Varney in the Nambour Hospital and I agreed to allow her to use my car. Sandrine took my car for about an hour and when she returned from the Nambour Hospital she informed me that Varney refused to speak to her. I observed that Sandrine was very upset and worried that Varney had been hit by a car. On one of the days that Sandrine stayed with me, she informed me that she had contacted Centrelink and confessed to a social worker that she had not declared that she'd been living with Ian and that she'd also been forced to work while collecting a single person's unemployment payment because Ian was taking all of her money for his business. Sandrine had told me that she had not previously disclosed to Centrelink that she was living with Ian or that she was working as Centrelink required. She told me she had to get it off her chest. Sandrine also told me she felt better after informing Centrelink. I told Sandrine I thought she was very brave. Sandrine told me that she asked Justine and her partner Shane to help her pay to have her Hilux towed from Bly Bly service station to my home in Mapleton, and that Justine and her partner Shane paid for the tow. On the 7th of July 2012, Philip, Sandrine's brother, visited Sandrine at my home in Mapleton. His wife and children stayed in the car while Philip spoke to Sandrine in my son's bedroom with the door closed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After Philip had left, Sandrine told me about the conversation that she'd had with Philip. Sandrine was very upset with him and was worried that he would have her admitted to her mental health ward. Sandrine was highly agitated after her conversation with Philip. On Sunday evening, Sandrine told me that she would like to speak to Brad and was in quite a hurry to do so, telling me that she wanted to get something off her chest. She spoke to Brad while she stood in the cold outside my home in Mapleton. I did not hear the conversation. Sandrine told me when she had ended the call that she felt better about getting her feelings off her chest. I informed Sandrine at the time that Brad had offered to show me and my boyfriend at the time a sex video of he and his ex-girlfriend Justine. I told her that I thought Brad's offer to show the video around was wrong and that Justine, who was a good friend of Sandrine's, should know about his offer to show others something so intimate. 
Sandrine became agitated when I mentioned that Brad had offered the sex video. I also recounted to Sandrine that Brad had told me that Sandrine said to him that she would have sex with him one day, but Sandrine denied that she had ever said that and was clearly annoyed with the suggestion. On Monday the 9th of July, I returned from the Mapleton State School where I had dropped my children off to find Sandrine packing her belongings into her car. In my opinion, she was in a very nervous state, and she seemed very indecisive. Sandrine left my house in Mapleton at approximately 9am on Monday the 9th of July 2012. On Tuesday the 10th of July 2012, Sandrine called me. She asked me if it was still fine for her to stay with me, and I assured her that it was. Sandrine then told me that her laptop had turned up. Sandrine then asked me if Brad could pick up his big blue drums from my house on a certain day. I told Sandrine that I wouldn't be home on the day in question. I heard a cough over the phone in the background while Sandrine was speaking to me, leading me to the conclusion that there was someone else with her. I recall at the time recognising the cough to be from Brad. On Tuesday the 10th of July, I received a Facebook message from Brad regarding the phone call that took place on Sunday the 8th of July, 2012, from Sandrine while she was at my house. Brad wrote, She's lost it. I wish she had not called me the other night and told me all about Justine and Shane. I'm glad it cleared her conscience, but it kind of fucked me up. On the evening of Wednesday, the 11th of July, Brad contacted me via Facebook message to inform me there was a camp to be held in Kilcoy Campgrounds beginning Thursday, the 12th of July. The contents of this Facebook message exchange between Brad and myself are as follows. Brad said on July the 11th, 2012 at 6.17pm, Hello lovely, you coming to Kilcoy? I said, when's Kilcoy? Brad said, starts tomorrow, lunchtime. I said, I have no money, but I have children. No, won't be able to go, maybe next time. Brad said, heard from Sandrine? I wrote, no, I hope to. She has to pay my mechanic $250. Brad said, eh? I wrote, Her car broke down and my mechanic fixed it and she promised to have it paid by today. Brad wrote, bummer. Hope she is reliable. She's changed a lot since I met her. I wrote, she's really suffering at the moment. Just under too much pressure. Brad wrote, smoking the ganja does not help. Told her that. Neither does going back to Ian time after time, he wrote. How are my drums? Do they miss me? After the email exchange between Brad and myself, I recall that at approximately 9.30pm on Wednesday the 11th of July, Sandrine called my home phone asking me to call Brad. Sandrine said that she spoke to Brad on the phone and that Brad told her that he was going to kill himself. Sandrine told me that she tried to contact him, but Brad would not answer her calls. That was the last time I spoke with or heard from Sandrine. I was surprised to hear that he was suicidal. 
considering he seemed fine when he sent his messages less than two and a half hours earlier, but I agreed to call him. I called Brad's phone the moment my phone call with Sandrine had ended. Brad did not answer his phone, so I sent him a message via Facebook. The contents of this Facebook message to Brad from myself is as follows. I wrote, You there? Sandrine is worried about you and wants to call triple zero. There was no reply from Brad on the 11th of July 2012. On the 12th of July 2012, I messaged Brad again. The contents of these Facebook messages exchanged between Brad and myself are as follows. I wrote on July the 12th, 2012 at 4.39pm, Hello? You okay? Give me a call when you can. On July the 12th, 2012 at 5.49, I wrote to Brad, Glad to see you're okay. Hope you have a good weekend. Brad wrote back, at 5.50 on July the 12th, 2012. What did Sandrine tell you? He followed that up with just a question mark. I did not answer Brad immediately, but replied on the morning of Friday the 13th of July, 2012, Brad's birthday. The contents of these Facebook messages exchanged between Brad and myself are as follows. I wrote... At 7.25am, Friday the 13th of July, she said you were suicidal. We both tried calling you. Aren't you meant to be at Kilcoy? Say hi to everyone for me. Smiley face. Brad wrote back. At 7.43am. She helped me feel that way the other night by telling me all these things about Justine and Shane. She went to visit them and lied about what she knew for ages, then bored it all up again when I had just about gotten over it. New information really hurt me, Pete. He continued, not going to kill Coy, going to get professional help. I wrote back, well, she was worried about you on Wednesday and called me. I called you, no answer. Hope you're a little better today. Good idea. You've been suffering for a while now. Hugs. Brad wrote back at 7.48am. She was worried about me? Did she happen to tell you that I was feeling okay before she called, then laid all that stuff on me? I kept telling her that I was in no condition to help her anymore, but she kept on asking me to help her sort her stupid shit with Ian. I've put too many hours into helping her with that. I told her to leave him so many times, but she won't listen. I wrote back at 7.52am. Do you realise she is ill? You have to hang up the phone if you don't want her to talk. Trust me, I know this. She stayed here for a few days. At the moment, she's not capable of listening. Brad wrote at 7.52am. She turned up and had a meltdown twice when I was on my last legs with Justine, and I helped her to the detriment of that. I'm also starting to think that she had a lot more to do with my breakup than I previously thought. I wrote back, and she loves you, no matter how she went about it. Brad wrote, who? I wrote back at 7.53am, 
No one had anything to do with your breakup except you and Justine. Brad wrote at 7.54am, I'm not so sure about that, Pete. And I said, Sandrine loves you. She sees you as one of her closest friends. Brad wrote, Then why did she continuously melt me down and help destroy my life? Why is she telling me all of this stuff now? She had many little secret meetings with Justine over that last year. Fuck knows what they talked about. I wrote back, She didn't help destroy your life. Are you serious? She's mentally unstable. That's all. You're sounding paranoid. Brad wrote back at 8.03am, You don't know the stuff I know, Pete, and the way she has spoken to me the last few times makes me believe that she is racked with guilt. You have been witness to the many times she has told us about all these things about Ian that just didn't happen, and then she tells us three weeks later that they actually didn't happen. I know she is sick, but who knows how she applied that sickness between Justine and I. I wrote back at 8.15am, are you serious? Gosh, to be perfectly honest, and I'm sorry, but I would have left you too. As far as I could see, you put zero effort into her. Why can't you let it all go? Face the fact that you fucked up and move on. It was her choice to leave, just like it was your choice to live the life the way you did. Let it go or you'll drive yourself insane. And for goodness sake, stop trying to blame everyone else. This was between you and Justine. Brad wrote back at 8.18am. Guess I'll never know, sad face. I wrote back, you do know. Search yourself and be honest with yourself. He wrote back at 8.20am. I have searched myself very extensively and I am being honest. If she communicated better, I could have made an effort. You can't operate on insufficient data. Brad wrote then again at 8.23am, And if Sandrine had not called me to tell me the horrible facts, I would have left it. It was never between Justine and I. I didn't even know Shane was in the picture, remember? As I said, you don't know all the facts. Brad continued at 8.24am, And as I have said, it's not what Justine did. It's the way she did it, and with who. Anyway, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's my birthday, sad face. I wrote back at 8.26am. You couldn't even be fucked helping her with a tent when she was coughing her lungs out. Sorry, Brad, this isn't about data. This is about you being KOTU again. You actually didn't make an effort with her. For the listener's information... KOTU is an acronym for Centre of the Universe. Some of the retreat goers referred to Brad this way because of his self-centeredness. I wrote back, I just realised it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Brad replied, it's not happy and probably my last. See ya, sad face. I wrote back, it won't be your last and it will get better if you allow it to. Hugs, man. Brad replied, Not when I see evidence that there are opinions to be shared, only when I press people for them. I will always suffer from not knowing what people think and feel. You have just proved it again. 
Why can't people just lay it on the line? Fuck. Brad continued, I am going to talk to Sandrine now and find out the whole story once and for all. I replied, I will always lay it on the line. You know me. Why talk to Sandrine? She can't give you an answer. She can't answer basic questions. Brad replied, I appreciate your honesty, but you are not fully informed about everything. Neither am I, it seems. This might be just the time to ask her a few things. She probably told you more than me. That was the last time I spoke or messaged with Brad until the 17th of July, four days after Sandrine went missing. You may think you have just been listening to a Mills and Boone novel on audiobooks. Except this story is not a work of fiction. Less than nine hours after that last conversation, Sandrine Jordan disappeared and has not been seen to this day. This is what Brad told A Current Affair in 2016. Thanks again to Channel 9 for this audio. Can you tell us what happened to Sandrine? I talked to her on the last day, but that's it. The day she vanished, her family say Sandrine was supposed to be meeting up with another friend, Brad, and going to a retreat. Going to meet with her and go to a retreat, weren't you? Yep, some retreat. Didn't see her that day? Brad said he was angry with Sandrine on the day she disappeared, and that's why they didn't meet. Yeah, I was actually really upset. I'm sorry, but I was. You know, that doesn't mean I did anything to her. The family seem to think that you and maybe others have information that you're not telling them. I don't have any information. I think under the circumstances, you know, if the police are talking to you, you take it pretty seriously. You may recall Sandrine had Rob drive her to Tomlinson Road and drop her off down the road from John's place. She did not want Rob's companions to know where she was going. Paranoia? Fear? We have heard, whilst at 123 with John, she was anxious, nervous, about who would or may turn up at the house. She had positioned herself so she could keep watch on the front of the property. Sandrine's sister, Christine, takes up the story. Told Mum that she wanted to go to Rob's house, that Rob was going to, she had organised to get Rob to drop her off at a Buddhist retreat, and that's where Brad was going to be. So she wanted to go to this Buddhist retreat because that's where Brad was going to be and she needed to fix, she needed to fix, she needed to fix the fact that she had upset him and today was his birthday. So she needed to catch up with him, she needed to see him and she needed to fix it. That they had sat there, they were talking, they were drinking. She had positioned herself in his house where she could see the driveway and was watching the driveway. And she kept on looking at driveway at the driveway at all times. We have been told Rob was going to take her to the Buddhist retreat that day. We have also been told that Brad was going to take her to the drumming camp. We are not aware of anyone else knowing she was at John's place. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. That day, apart from John, of course, I have seen no information to suggest that Ian, her ex-partner, you, Sandrine, was there that day. I have seen no information to suggest Ian went to 123 Tomlinson Road that day. Please join me next time when we discuss what we know happened after the when and the where of Friday the 13th of July 2012 at around 5.30pm. If you wish to contact me privately, you can email me at graham5353 at live.com. That's G-R-A-E-M-E. You're also welcome to post on the Facebook pages Missing Sandrine Jordan or Graham Crowley Podcast Investigations. If you follow the podcast, you will be advised when a new episode drops. Please rate and review the podcast for me. This podcast was made possible with the awesome assistance of the ACAST Creator Network. Music, Inevitable Hope by RKVC. You'll find all my contact details in the show notes at the end of each episode. Thanks for joining me whilst we investigate the disappearance of Sandrine Jordan.